Greetings, everyone. I want to welcome everyone at Center Street Church. The Gospel of Matthew is a fascinating book, and we've been studying it over the last few months. We are in a sermon series right now called Embracing Discipleship. Discipleship requires not just a casual allegiance, but our wholehearted devotion. Now, after Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom of God, he demonstrates the power of the kingdom through many miracles. Later, he recruits disciples, empowers them to represent this new kingdom. Last weekend, we heard from Pastor Henry as he addressed the call and commissioning of the 12 apostles, and particularly focused on the life of Andrew. Now, one look at this crew of 12 disciples, you will realize God was not looking for spectacular people. He specializes in using ordinary, simple-minded, unlikely heroes for his good purposes. I don't know about you, that gives me a great deal of hope. In the text that we're going to look at today, Jesus sends his disciples into the mission field. You know, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion in his heart. The harvest was rich, the people were eager and hungry to listen to the truth, but there weren't enough laborers. And Jesus prayed earnestly, God, supply laborers into the mission field. That prayer gets answered. Jesus chooses 12 disciples who will go into the field as harvesters. 2,000 years later, God's methodology hasn't changed a bit. He sees the brokenness in our world and also the potential for restoration. And he chooses disciples to announce the arrival of his new kingdom to engage in the greatest rescue mission ever. Every disciple of Jesus is a missionary in respect to of our vocation. We all are missionaries called and commissioned by Jesus to announce his kingdom to the world. If we don't embrace our calling to be missionaries, we are disconnected from God's purposes for our life. Here's the question for you and I. If we are a missionary, what does this new lifestyle look like? What patterns, convictions, and values form the core of our life? The text for today gives us answers to these questions. So wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 15. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. 
whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. You join me in prayer. Lord, be quiet in our hearts today to hear from you because your word sustains us. It sustains us spiritually, helps us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So challenge us, Lord, today to engage in the mission that you have for us so that we are not disconnected from your purposes. And we ask this, in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may take a seat. Just a few weeks ago, NASA launched yet another rocket to space, this time from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And my wife has been absolutely fascinated by the whole deal, and she has been watching tons of YouTube videos about life in space. Now, for a while, I was concerned that she was going to leave our family and take off on a space mission. And she brought to my attention a video by American astronaut Sunita Williams. And Sunita Williams was giving a tour of the International Space Station. And she talked about how they lived there for months together, answered some common questions we have like, how do we pee in space? My boys thought that was pretty cool. You know, it occurred to me, an astronaut, in order to move to space, has to adopt a totally different lifestyle. It involves embracing great risks. A friend from our church who has worked for NASA told me, astronauts must be prepared for the possibility that they may die during a mission. For example, the space shuttle has a predicted failure rate of one catastrophic failure in 423 flights. And this may not seem too bad, but let me show you a comparison that will put everything in perspective. A fighter pilot in a high-performance aircraft can expect a failure rate of 1 in 12,000 flights and has an escape system. See, astronauts must also face the fact that they could fall ill or have an accident during a mission. It will be difficult, as you can imagine, to get medical intervention. When in space, you lose muscle strength. That's why when the astronauts return back from space, they are unable to walk unaided and they need rehabilitation for weeks. So what may appear on the outside to be a cool profession is fraught with challenges, risks, and rewards. That's why when astronauts go to space, they are on a mission. And this applies to Christian discipleship as well. We are on a greater mission. 
That is why a disciple of Jesus also lives a countercultural life, embraces a lifestyle set apart from the rest of the world. Discipleship is also fraught with all kinds of challenges, and it takes total dedication to stay the course. But in the end, the rewards outweigh all. And as we delve into today's scripture passage, let me say something at the outset. We are looking at this text at instructions that were given specifically to the 12 disciples when they went on a particular mission of announcing the kingdom to those in the region of Galilee. What that means is you cannot take these instructions and apply them literally to our context. It will not work. But we will then be preaching the gospel only to the Jews. We will give up our jobs and wander in the streets with no shoes, no extra clothing, no money. And that doesn't seem realistic, isn't it? However, there are certain principles, significant principles that we can glean from here that will help us to live as missionaries, adopt a lifestyle that will increase our impact. That's what we will be focusing on today. Remember, if we are not engaged in God's mission, then we are disconnected from God's purposes for our life. Now let's look at verses 5 and 6 of our text. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather, he's very specific, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now this may seem obvious, but Jesus sent the 12 on mission, not as individuals, but they were commissioned as a group. Jesus knew that the disciples needed one another, each other's gifts, and abilities in order to be successful. And here is a vital principle for us to apply to our life as we seek to live a missional lifestyle. We engage in mission as a community. This is not an individual enterprise. We need to join hands with other like-minded believers. We cannot operate in isolation one of the biggest challenges in living the missional lifestyle is discouragement. And it is often because we are engaging in this all on our own. Being part of a community helps us to find mutual support and encouragement for the task. Also notice in our text, Jesus instructs them to go only to the lost sheep of Israel. They're explicitly asked to stay away from the Gentile and the Samaritan territory. I want you to know that this was just a temporary instruction. For this particular mission trip, their focus was only on Israel. The people who were weighed down by the rules and regulations that were imposed on them by the religious leaders. They were the sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, languishing on their own. And Jesus wanted his disciples 
to reach out to them. But after his resurrection, we see in Matthew's gospel, Jesus widens the scope of his ministry, this time to all the nations. But now wasn't the time. It's not that Jesus wasn't concerned about the Gentiles, but he was unfolding a specific plan and therefore delegating specific assignments to his disciples. Again, I see a principle here. God doesn't expect one Christian, one community group, or one church to reach the whole world. But he gives us specific assignments in which we are called to partner with him as individuals, groups, and as local churches. God gives us unique burdens. He draws us to a particular group of people. Some of us have a burden for the homeless population. Others for those who are affluent in our midst. Some others do well in sports ministry or kids ministry or ministry to youth. Some of us like reaching out to atheists and others of us like me have a burden and passion for people of other faiths and worldviews. Our mission is the same, but we all have different target groups as our focus. Collectively, as we join hands together, we advance God's purposes in the world. So ask yourself this question, what unique burdens do I carry? What breaks my heart? Who am I drawn to? Look at the next couple of verses in our text. Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What is fascinating here is, Jesus is asking the disciples to do what he has been doing all along. That's precisely how Jesus started off his own ministry, by preaching the kingdom of heaven is here. And then he healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead. So Jesus is imparting his disciples the same authority that characterized his life. It is simply an extension of his power. Until now, if you have read the Gospels, you will see that the disciples had been passive participants in Jesus' ministry. Mere spectators, passengers in the car. But now Jesus was challenging them to take action, to actively follow in his footsteps and take the driver's seat. That's how Jesus has designed the Christian life. It is an adventure. If we find the Christian life to be boring, chances are we are not living the missional life that God has for us. Disciples have been set apart to engage actively in God's mission. Not doing so will disconnect us from God's purposes for our life. You may read this text and ask, what about the supernatural things mentioned here? Are we also to replicate this? Is every Christian going to be healing people, casting demons, and raising the dead, 
Now, I want us to think for a moment. When Jesus healed the sick, cleansed the lepers, performed all the supernatural activities, what was he doing? He was announcing the arrival of a new kingdom, a kingdom that will bring restoration. So Jesus is destroying intentionally the enemies of God's kingdom to redeem us from the effects of the fall. Our calling today hasn't changed. It's the same, to be agents of God who bring restoration. In some cases, that power may be demonstrated in supernatural ways like healing, miracles, and so on. More importantly, we are confronting brokenness wherever we see it in our society because we are God's ambassadors of hope and healing. As I apply this for today, we are in a world that has been torn apart by racism. We've seen how horrendous this is and the extent of damage this has caused. Our Christian faith is not silent in the face of these injustices. Through our actions, we show to the world how we ought to function as a society. The church demonstrates that every ethnicity is valuable to God and a display of His creative power. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. Christians are to boldly proclaim this message and lead the way in this world. For wherever we see brokenness, we have a responsibility as ambassadors of God's kingdom to bring healing and restoration. Look at the next couple of verses in our passage. Verses 9 and 10. And these are challenging words. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Now, earlier in the text, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. What Jesus is saying here is, don't charge money for your spiritual services. You are not professionals. You don't charge a fee. Here is healing prayer. Give me hundred bucks. Casting out demons comes at a higher price. And we will charge the maximum for raising the dead because that is a mega miracle. Now Jesus is clearly saying here, don't sell spiritual services. Freely you have received, freely give. The power and authority disciples have is God's gift. So don't seek remuneration in return. Give it freely to others. Pay attention to what Jesus is actually saying here because we can misunderstand his words. Look at verse 9 again. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. He's not saying do not take. He's saying do not get. So what that means is this is not a, a total prohibition against taking money. He's saying don't Get, don't acquire extra possessions. 
This is a quick preaching tour that you're going on. You will be getting back soon. So travel light. Eugene Peterson hits it home in the message translation when he says, don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. Also keep in mind, Jesus says here in our text, a worker is worth his keep. So what that means is the disciples will have to rely on the hospitality and the financial help of the people that they will be ministering to. And all their needs, Jesus says, will be provided for. So rather than charging set professional fees, they're leaving it to the people to determine what they want to give. And more importantly, the whole point of this exercise was to teach them dependence on the Lord to provide for their needs. See, if they have lots of resources, then they will inevitably look to the resources to meet their needs. But when the resources are limited, they will be forced to look to God to meet their needs. That's the lesson Jesus wanted them to learn. That's the principle we glean for today from this text. All of us are called to walk by faith, trusting God to provide all that we need to accomplish His purposes. Huge lesson for those of us, especially in vocational ministry. It is obvious that spirituality can be turned into a thriving business. It has a great potential for money-making. All through history, it has been proved that you can sell spirituality and make huge returns. And this is a caution that needs to undergird our ministries. I see from this text Preaching the gospel and living a lavish, extravagant life don't go hand in hand. We are called not to make persistent demands for money and financial support, but trust in the Lord to meet all of our needs. More importantly, pastors and evangelists should stop preaching that if you give, God will multiply it hundred times, thousand times. Stop manipulating people into giving by presenting it as a profit-making scheme. Instead, preach this message. Don't give in order to get something. Give because God deserves your very best. That's it. This is what I can tell you from personal experience. Those who serve God are not deprived. God is a good boss who takes care of his employees. Let's look at the the last section in our text, verses 11 to 14. Whatever town or village you enter... Search therefore some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave the town, leave that home or town and shake 
the dust of your feet. Jesus is giving here yet another practical advice for his disciples. And that's very relevant for us today. This is how they have to decide where to spend their time and energy. Invest in those who are receptive to their ministry. You know, the typical Hebrew greeting was shalom, peace. The disciples were going to proclaim the peace that comes from knowing Jesus. And in biblical culture, these words of greeting serve as an invitation to friendship. If the people in the household were responsive, that would serve as a sign that they are ready and open to receive the ministry of the disciples. But if the people are not receptive, if their hearts are closed and they reject them, Jesus tells his disciples to shake the dust of their feet. That is a symbolic way of communicating that the people of that home have not just rejected the disciples, but they have rejected God himself and will reap the consequences of their action. So instead of ministering indefinitely to a hostile audience, Jesus tells his disciples to move to places that are more open to the gospel. Let me put out this caveat before I apply this to our lives. There is a time for persistence in ministry with people who are hostile. We don't just walk away from people at the first sign of rejection. We really need the discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit to know how long to persist or to continue. And sometimes we see results after a great deal of perseverance. So prayerfully seek God about it. But as a general rule, go where there is openness to the gospel. Bob Rognelian, who spoke here a few months ago, says in one of his books, Jesus' strategy for discipleship begins simply by looking for friendship. Bob refers to people who are receptive to our friendship as a person of peace. This is a person, for some reason, likes you, wants to spend time with you, and open to your influence. They're willing to receive you. But we need to open our eyes and see for those kinds of people are there everywhere in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, in our extended family, wherever our life intersects with people. We should intentionally, prayerfully look for these people of peace with whom we can have spiritual conversations. Years ago, when I was serving at the New Canadian Friendship Center, a ministry of our church, there was an older gentleman of another faith who often used to come to the center. You know, we were so different in so many ways. He was an old man with his own views on life. But there was something that drew us closer. Very clearly, this man was a person of peace. You know someone is a person of peace when they seek for you, when they want to spend time with you. We had a great relationship 
And in the process, God gave me many opportunities to share the good news of the gospel with him. And then he moved to the United States, and my life has been busy, and I struggle to keep up with relationships. Guess what? He calls me every six months or so, and we continue to talk. Why? Because he's a person of peace who's open to my investment in his life. Take a moment right now to think about who are those people in your life who are people of peace, who like you and are open to your influence. It's obvious to me that they are the ones in whom you will invest your life in and share the gospel in the context of relationship. Scripture passage for today offers us many principles to live a missional lifestyle. Remember, every Christian is a missionary. Our location and context may differ, but this is what unites us, the common mission. Let me quickly summarize the sermon for today. If you are not engaged in God's mission, then you are disconnected from God's purposes for your life. You are not called to do this in isolation, but to find a group of people with whom you can engage in this mission together. Ask who the Lord is leading you to, what unique burdens He is placing upon your heart, and be sensitive to the Spirit's promptings. Remember, Jesus gives you the same authority that characterized His life. So be agents of God's restoration. Express desperate dependence on Jesus as you engage in His work. Don't depend on your resources or your money or your gifts and talents, but trust in the Lord alone to bring transformation in people's lives. Lastly, intentionally look for the people of peace in your life who are open to Jesus, the people God is bringing your way who are receptive to your spiritual influence. Let me close with this. Being a missionary doesn't mean geographic relocation. It doesn't mean a change of vocation. All of us are called to be missionaries and embrace a missional lifestyle. It was Gordon Ashleyman who said, I want to live in North America in such a way that Satan would rather have me overseas as a missionary. With God's help, let's live like that. Adopt a lifestyle that will bring glory and honor to God's kingdom so the gospel can advance through our lives. I'm going to ask you to stand right now and I'm going to hand it over to our worship team so you can join and sing together this closing song. Come on, sing.